You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Episode 52, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format where you can learn about what physicians face through expert analysis. Today's expert is Dr. Amaryllis sanchez Wolliver. She's the author of the new book, Recapturing Joy in Medicine which she describes as a coaching manual for physicians to live well and lead effectively. The book does a great job of walking you through all the different problems that you may face in your professional or personal life, how it affects either sphere, uh, and then ways of correcting that and reorienting and rebalancing your life. In today's interview, we'll talk about a lot of those topics, uh, specific things that can be used to rebalance and refocus professional and personal career. And uh, it's a great also that we'd go into the discussion of how uh, she finds much satisfaction in working with organized medicine, and that, and that is not, of course, unionized medicine, but it's organized in the sense that used through medical societies, and how she works with state legislators and other elected officials to advance issues that are related to physician wellness and improved patient care. Dr. Wolliver's book, in addition to links that are referred to in the show, can be found at theparadox.com slash 052. And without further ado, a discussion on bringing joy back to medicine with Dr. Amaryllis Sanchez Wolliver. Enjoy. Well, welcome. I'm here today with a repeat guest, Mari Amaryllis Sanchez Wolliver. Dr. Wolliver is the author of the new book, Recapturing Joy in Medicine, a coaching manual for physicians to live well and lead effectively. Dr. Sanchez is a family physician in Florida. She's a public speaker, uh, coach for physicians, She's all over the place, and she's involved also in organized medicine uh, in Florida and nationally. And uh, she's been spreading the joy of medicine for quite some time now. So, Dr. Wolver, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me back. I think it was episode 15 uh, where I was first with you. Right. You're now the second repeat guest. So um, I don't know if there's a prize for getting more than two. (laughs) 
But uh, I've actually now passed uh, episode 50, so it's actually kind of shocking. I, uh, Excellent. I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what my, my initial goal was. I guess I didn't really have an initial goal except to have a couple people listen to my show. So it has been um, a learning experience for me talking to people like you and just people in medicine who are on different professions and just just dealing with different things. And so um, the the part that you deal with, I guess I would say, is sort of the the human aspect and sort of the, the um, I guess, the wellness part for physicians. And so let's just talk about your book that you just put out. So what would you say the general goal of your book was and what, what drove you to write it? Yeah, well, wonderful. Um, you know, I would say the general goal is to really help my colleagues to recapture uh, that hope to make a difference in people's lives that drew them to medicine in the first place. And there are so many obstacles nowadays to providing that compassionate, excellent care that we are all trained to provide. And so having experienced that in my own life, I now, um, you know, essentially that's what I do is I, I want to help my colleagues to recapture what brought them into medicine in the first place, to learn ways to, um, you know, prevent burnout and recover from it and, uh, and just do better Um so that they can use their skills, their strengths, you know, to help people, uh, which is what I think we all, you know, I, I interview uh, in the past, I have interviewed students who want to go to medical school and they still tell you uh, they want to become a physician because they want to help people. So, uh, so that's what I do. Yeah. And I, and I th- must mention this every episode, <laughs> but I feel like the number one professional satisfier for physicians is the relationship we have with our patients and the ability to, to um, treat people help them. I mean, that's what draws virtually everyone into medicine, I think. And, uh, and you know, how you help people is obviously different, but the fundamentally that's why we're all in the business, as they say. Um, exactly. So when I speak to physicians, I always say, you know, that, that we know that the most central part uh, is the patient-physician relationship, and it continues to be shoved to the corner of a room. And so anything we can do to bring that relationship back to the center um, will bring greater joy. And in fact, the Physicians Foundation a survey of American physicians in 2018 uh, still shows that 78.7% of physicians say the most satisfying part of practice is their relationship with patients. So that, that remains uh, our primary satisfier. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'd say that, that the focus for, for the physicians and to maintain the wellness and increase it and to maximize it is obviously to keep that as sort of your singular focus. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the bottom line is that we cannot give what we don't have. And so I actually just got back from a wonderful conference that focused on physician wellness. Um, and uh, and that's what we spent four days talking about is, is how we do better so that we can care for others better. Uh, it's like that analogy on a plane where you, you know, place the oxygen mask on your face first. I think we tend to be wonderful at caring for others, at being other-centered. But truly, we need to go back to, okay, if we don't do a better job taking care of ourselves, it's going to be pretty hard uh, to continue in a sustainable way to take care of other people when we're, you know, trying to overcome so many obstacles every single day. I mean, it's just exhausting simply to see patients uh, now. Um, And so if we're not caring for ourselves, you know, advocating for our own needs, making sure that we have what we need and our teams have what they need. Uh, to care for people, it's just not going to work out. And so that's why we have an epidemic, not only of physician burnout, but unfortunately of physician suicide in this nation. So uh, that's why I decided, you know, I need to get this book out 
um, as soon as I can because it's a hopeful, practical, interactive resource uh, like I really haven't seen another. And um, uh, some of the physicians who have already read it have said, I wish I had this when I started medical school, you know, and, and have it to continue to refer to throughout my career. So that's my goal. My goal is that it gets in the hands of every medical student, resident, fellow, and physicians in practice um, as a resource that they can use alongside their practice. Right. And I think the general format of the book has a a quote that sort of uh, focuses on one aspect of the of medicine that you're or uh, the, a practice, and then there's a brief description. I guess you'd say for a couple pages, and then there's a practical sort of exercise that one could go through to figure out, you know, how to incorporate the sort of the, the tip or the trick for facing whatever certain challenge that that you're focusing on in that section. Um, you mentioned. Uh, if you can't take care of yourself, you really can't do a good job taking care of your patients. Right. And I think, you know, one, one huge component of that too is if you're not taking care of yourself, it's going to be very challenging because we all have lives outside of medicine too when you go home. And if you're not, there are just as many pulls and stressors at home, if not more sometimes than at work. Yeah. And so, and so that obviously assume is also a big focus of your book as well. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> really, a lot of the foundation of the book is is recognizing that before we became a physician, we were a human being. <laughs> and although that sounds really <laughs> obvious, I think our training does such a great job at uh, you know teaching us to con- constantly focus on the patient and, and you know somebody else's needs but yourself. And in training, we learned that you know uh, we, for example, if we're you know assisting a surgery, a surgical procedure, or one of these long surgeries like I had during vascular surgery rotations, um, you learn that your needs are second, third, fourth, right? And so yeah. you might you know need to go to the restroom for hours and hours, and you just sit there and uh, wait. And um, and so we we get very good at uh, not caring for ourselves. And so the problem is our training is so long that if we develop bad self care habits during training, uh, our training lasts at least eight years, you know, mm-hmm. beyond college. And so um, sometimes longer, it's sometimes longer than a decade. So if you have a, more than a decade of bad habits forming, uh, it's pretty hard to break them once you come out into practice and many doctors never break them. And so eventually, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna um, show up uh, through illness um, or through other, you know, mental, emotional aspects um, uh, that really reflect the fact that you continue to neglect your soul and your own needs, you know, whether they're physical, emotional, mental, relational, social. Um, we are human beings before we are physicians. And, and to the extent that we care for our own needs, we will be able to care for others better. So I believe the transformation that we need to bring to healthcare really needs to reflect the transformation that takes place within us. Um, yeah, and I would and I would say from a personal standpoint, I'm really good at making it through a five-hour surgery without having to go to the bathroom, right? Uh, which is probably uh, not a good on my bladder, but <laughs> right. But you know, you do what you have to do sometimes, right? Exactly. Uh, how how have you seen physicians rely on their lives uh, using? Because I know you've said you've been a, a coach for physicians before, right? And then and then when it comes to realignment, how do you know what you need to rely? You know how you need to realign. I mean, or you know. If you say, oh, I need to realign, I, things are just not going well. How do you get to the point where you figure out what that even means? 
Well, I think it's different for each each physician for sure. And I still do coaching and it's a wonderful and very rewarding process that um, for some coaches begins with work, but I actually uh, choose to uh, do it differently. And I begin with a, a person's bigger life, right? So I, I begin with your whole life uh, from the get-go. And so that actually gets us to where we need to go quicker, I think. Um, but so, so, you know, some one of the uh, exercises you can do involves having a personal mission statement, looking at your values, you know, what are your priorities in life? And then, um, you know, so the way I put it is, who am I? Why am I here? Um, why am I even a physician? And how will I serve with the gifts and the uniqueness of who I am? And so those questions uh, to me are foundational to re- recapturing joy in medicine and really in life um, because they begin to align you with um the unique person that you were created to be. And so um, so usually I will start uh, with something like that. And then the answers, again, will be different for each of us um, and based on, you know, our own values and, you know, how we want to serve patients through, through medicine, but also using other gifts that we may have. Uh, in my case, when I stepped off the treadmill is the way I call it of my medical life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really began to um, recognize strengths and gifts that I had that I was completely neglecting, uh, one of which was writing. And when I began to write again, um, which I had completely almost stopped doing during med school and in residency, when I began to write again, I began to sort of process life in a different way. And um, and I began to impact others, including my colleagues, in a different way. And it was a very freeing um, activity that I, um, you know, I had completely neglected. And so for some doctors, you know, they're neglecting an instrument they play or something where it really helps them to settle their mind or quiet their mind, settle their soul, uh, things like that, uh, that can be so helpful. And we just, you know, we, we step on the treadmill when we arrive in medical school and we just never get off on, unless we're intentional. And it can really make a difference when we do. Right. I mean, you... You'll hear physicians all the time say that, what was it like when you were in medical school? What kind of books you read? They're like, well, it's all medical books. It wasn't until you get to residency or even finish residency that you read for fun again. You know, it's almost like you don't have that opportunity because you have so little time. Right. Uh, do you have Do you ever have people who write mission statements saying they want to be a healthcare leader in five years? No, I'm joking. I've, I feel like that's every hospital's <laughs> mission statement, Yeah, and, which I think is kind of amusing because I never really know what that means, but it's, I guess you can always achieve it. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? What I would say about that, though, is that you know I have seen some physicians who become healthcare leaders uh, sort of as an escape strategy from their own burnout. And if you never go through the process of healing and all the lessons you can learn, having been burned out or close to it, um, you've really missed out on something very important. So I think it's important for the people who, you know, who are not thriving and recognize it um, to walk through that process uh, to get to the other side in a healthier way. And, and those lessons can help you with your team. It, they can really help you to not do those things that led you where you ended up. And so, um, so there's very important lessons, just like with any suffering or anything difficult we go through, that if we allow ourselves to learn those lessons, we will be better off on the other side. Yeah, I see that all the time. And it's it's something I didn't recognize initially until I got to know some of these people when they were making this, these life changes. But I will see physicians who leave their profession uh, and to go into administrative work because I think there's a perception like it's the, the rat race portion of it is kind of better. Uh, it's less stressful, you know, than living in the ER or in the sure. OR or wherever it might be. Right. But I've, I have, at least in 
talking to them or to their family members, they generally are not any happier. <laughs> in fact, they, they're sometimes less happy because I think yeah. they feel like it's a less meaningful work. Right. Uh, it, it solves some of their problems like the maybe the call or the things they perceive as the real issues, but it didn't it didn't probably solve the other things, probably to what you're speaking of, right? The sort of the soul or the, the soul issues, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think uh, your, your point is, is definitely true. And I've seen that, uh, I've seen that happen. And, uh, and I think, you know, for, so, so again, I mean, I think it's important to step back and consider like, you know, why am I a physician and how do I want to serve people? And I think that's a question that uh, we often don't ask ourselves. And, and if we're in jobs where we're just not happy or, we're, we're not finding meaning, it is so helpful to step back and speak to, you know, an outsider um, and, and to really just kind of, uh, you know, find small ways. You know, I, I always, when I coach doctors, I say, find one thing that will make things um, fairly quickly, that's fairly easy to solve. And uh, fairly quickly, you will find some results from it, you know, and, um, and, and then just kind of get on this, on this journey to try to improve things slowly. But I, the, the physicians that I see doing best when they have been burned out is the ones who get proactive, the ones who stop sort of, you know, complaining, which is very easy to fall into that and, um, and that get proactive about doing something about it. I know for me, not only did that help in practice, but also to get active in medicine at the national level and at the state level, um, in advocacy has been so empowering for me and gives me hope because I have gotten to meet so many physicians that are so exceptional and are doing so many great things. And so, um, so that, that has been tremendously helpful to me. Well, you know, that's a good, good example. I, when it comes to the, the profession of burnout, I mean, I feel like one of the main, the main ways people describe it is this helplessness, this, uh, you're in this position where there's no, there's no way that you can fix any anything you're dealing with, and there's no way out. Uh, so, what would be a, an example of like a, a quick, easy fix? Because you mentioned that that sort of it, it's sort of like um, taking on debt, where you have maybe 10, 10 debts, you you take off the smallest one. It maybe not have maybe it doesn't have the biggest interest rate, but you yeah. pay off that thousand dollars. You're like, oh, okay, I'm making progress, and now you can sort of start tackling the bigger ones. So, what would be an example of like an easy that you made one of your uh, physicians you worked with? What's like an easy thing that they did that kind of helped them? Yeah. along that road. An easy fix is something like, um, you know, if you're continually interrupted, uh, say when patients call in or when email messages come in and your MA or nurse, whoever your assistant is continually interrupts you throughout the day and say you're a, you're one of the doctors, maybe like me, who, you know, does a lot better if I can fully focus, right, on on my patients until I'm done. Uh, and then I like to deal with messages. So it can be very, very helpful to, you know, have a conversation with uh, whoever your assistant is and say, hey, can we talk about messages at the very beginning of my morning and when I'm done, maybe halfway through the morning and at the very end of when I'm done seeing, you know, my shift. And so, you know, so you control uh, how that's happening a little bit better. And um, and that can be your batching messages, you know. Of course, you can always be interrupted with, you know, emergencies and things that are more urgent, right. um, but but not continually so that you continually have to shift, shift gears uh, between, you know, uh, emergencies, urgencies, and um, and the trivial, <laughs> the very, very yeah, right. trivial, uh, and things that can wait. And so that can be very low-lying fruit uh, and, and a fairly quick fix, um, you know. And there's a lot of things like that. And so, again, for every doctor, it'll be a little different. But um, often, 
we are so overwhelmed because there are so many things that are uh, making us less efficient and driving us crazy when we see patients that, that they just get overwhelmed and that takes away their energy to act. And so, again, if you just step back and just, okay, let's choose one thing and we'll work on that and then go to the next one. Um, that is very empowering and there's hope. You don't feel so helpless and that's right. important. Yeah, because you've changed, you've changed something and you've, you've brought yourself in control of at least one aspect of your day. Yeah, and what we have lost is autonomy. So, you know, so to the extent that I can return some control and autonomy over clinical decision making and also the efficiency of work, um, boy, it really makes a difference. And then when people feel hope, I mean, hope is healing in itself. And so that's what I try to do continually is, you know, increase hope. And so that's why I wrote this book. It's very hopeful. Um, it moves forward. You know, I, it is informed by, you know, 25 years in medicine and understanding how frustrating and uh, just exhausting it is to see patients in some settings these days. But what I do is I, what I do is I talk about what is possible, what we can do, right? Because um, often, again, if we focus on the things we cannot control, uh, that puts you in a place of helplessness. But if you focus on the things you do have control over, now uh, you are proactively involved in making things better. And so, you know, for us as doctors, we, we are natural leaders. We were leaders when we arrived in medical school. So that's part of our frustration is, you know, we are leaders who can't lead um, because we're either disempowered in our organizations or we feel disempowered and leaders who are disempowered disengage uh, or they burn out or they leave uh, that's what i've seen and so i try to give you know to empower my colleagues and uh and make sure that they become equipped um, so they can provide excellent care and those three e's are what i call the physician leaders triad um, so we need to be equipped we need to be empowered so that we can provide the excellent care we're trained to provide. And that is a happy doctor right there. <laughs> yeah. Do you, so, you know, this is kind of leads to the, the natural question where employed versus independent physician, right? I mean, if you're, if you are the boss at your, your clinic and you're running it, you maybe have some partners, but essentially you, everyone who's there works for you and some, on some level, you probably have a lot more power in changing processes and things that might drive you bananas that you maybe didn't realize that with mission creep that suddenly, you know, something's happening that you can you should change but uh when physicians are in an employed setting they may not have as much control over things i mean certainly you don't have control over your electronic health record oftentimes and sort of how it works uh do you find that it's harder for those physicians to to find ways out or is it or the are there plenty of opportunities for low-hanging fruit with their practices as well I mean, I think we all have opportunities to find some low-lying fruit, but definitely it, it has become a lot harder because now more than 70% of doctors are employed and so, uh, you know, not independent. And so uh, that's what, that's part of, you know, why burnout is, is just skyrocketing, you know, and continuing. Um, the other thing that's happened is that there's a lot less um, hospitals that are actually run by physicians. Uh, in 1935, uh, physicians were in charge of 35% of hospitals in the United States, and as of 2009, um, physicians only lead 3.6% of hospitals in our country. Yeah. And so that's a 90% decrease. And so sadly, those, doc those hospitals do not have better outcomes, and actually the costs have gone up rather than down. And so we, I believe we need more physicians running uh, you know, health systems and hospitals and clinics uh, in the country, and that's something that needs to go back. Yeah, and that's always the the struggle I have, advocating for something like that. Not, I mean, I see it. 
on some level, it's important to have physicians who are know what it's like in the trenches. But on the other hand, I, I hate losing clinical people. <laughs> True. You know, who would be into into areas where they're, you know, potentially not really taking care of anybody and really helping. I, I suppose it depends on the, how the system is structured. If you're a physician who leaves for the administration and you're in a sort of somewhat powerless middleman position where you really can't change anything except maybe a couple committees, then it's probably not as helpful as someone who might be the true leader at the top of the organization. Totally. I, I suppose yeah. that's... Yeah, we're talking um, about true leadership, you know, and there is a leadership void right now in medicine. And so, um, yeah, to the extent that we, you know, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm trying to get doctors to speak up again. You know, I think now we are, as of 2009, uh, physicians were um, outnumbered 10 to 1 by non-clinical administrators. And so, uh, so what I always say to my colleagues is that for every physician who goes mute, in their organization and stop speaking up, that is 10 non-clinical voices that are, um, you know, speaking loud and clear. And so, yeah. um, so we really do need to need to speak up again. It's tough though, because some doctors, you know, they're afraid of getting fired. Uh, they're afraid to be labeled uh, quote disruptive and um, you know, and it's justified in many places. So, so it's a very tricky time uh, right now in healthcare. Yeah, you suddenly are out number twenty to one for every person who's silent, right? Um, so, in yeah. part, part of your book, you talk about multitasking and how it's, uh, you know, on some level, everybody at some point has to be multitasking. You have to have multiple things going on. So, when does it when does it become a problem? The multitasking and and what do you do to fix that? Right. Well, I to me, I think you know, <clears throat> again, we were human before we became physicians, and so so when whether it's multitasking or perfectionism or some of the personality traits that many physicians have uh, and that have made us uh, excel in medicine um, are very tough when you have them stay in your relationships, in your parenting <laughs> with your spouses. Yeah. And so, so if that multitasking that helps you to, um, you know, do very well, say in an operating room, um, if you bring that into your day-to-day life in other areas, um, it might help you cooking. Um, uh, I wish I had the multitasking ability my yeah. daughter has uh, when she cooks. <laughs> so in some areas, it really helps you. But but if you bring that into uh, just sort of like your daily life, um, it, it is a great way to become sort of divided in your mind and, and to um, live a scattered life. And uh, and again, I do a lot of work, you know, that has to do with the soul. And so, um, so you know, that, that, multitasking uh, is sort of the opposite of, uh, of a mindful presence, right? Which, which is so yeah. important if you really want to uh, attentively listen to someone. Um, and so, you know, multitasking uh, can help you in some settings, but probably not if you're, you know, have a patient in front of you who uh, just lost a loved one or has had a major loss or something where um, they need you to be still and quiet and listen and, um, and expressing empathy. And so, so sort of if your mind lives in a multitasking world, uh, it's very hard to transition sometimes. And so um, so does that make sense? Uh, yeah. The same thing applies to like our perfectionism. It's great if we're, you know, thinking about drug, drug interactions or, you know, prescribing or um, all the many things we do uh, or in the operating room, right, or in your world of anesthesia. But uh, our perfectionism does not help us in our interpersonal relationships with people, in our parenting. <laughs> and yeah. uh, if we expect perfection from ourselves, uh, that probably means we expect perfection from others. And so we're going to leave very disappointed <laughs> because none of us is perfect. 
So yeah, well, you can speak for yourself. No, um, <laughs> so, I, and I feel like uh, one of the things that really leads to more multitasking and distractions and stuff is of social media and our phones yeah. and email and all. And I think, I mean, I think there are even studies proving that that it, the more you that using this, especially at certain times, it just increases your anxiety level just because like, Oh, do I have a couple of emails I need to answer or see what's, you know, you're, there's always something to sort of check on and look at whether it's your Twitter feed or your Instagram or yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And yeah. I think it just you probably just have not, to be more mindful. You're not present right? to the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like it adds, it adds to levels of anxiety, like to try and go to sleep right after you look at your email. It's really kind of tough. Exactly. Yeah. What is, and what is that doing, you know, what is that doing to your mind really? I mean, it'd be, you know, I don't, I, I've not seen specific studies. Like it'd be, it'd be interesting to look at a PET scan uh, of someone's brain, right? Um, uh, right after say, you know, when they're, when they're looking at emails right as they go to bed, you know, what does that do? Uh, it would be, would be fascinating. I, you know, it's interesting. They do actually do studies like the, I think the functional MRIs, but I don't know who, I don't know. I, if I could, look at my email and suddenly then fall asleep while I'm going to MRI scanner. I'm not quite sure how they managed <laughs> to pull these things off uh, that anyone could actually ever fall asleep in an MRI scanner. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You you said something which is, I think, kind of amazing uh, or surprising maybe is a better word. You said that working within organized medicine has given you tremendous hope and uh, is something that you find very re rewarding. Yeah. I have found most people who look at work in organized medicine, and for those listening who are not familiar with the term is, it does not mean people are unionizing in uh, physicians, things like that. Organized medicine generally refers to people working within medical societies or large medical organizations, uh, like uh, either physician specialty organizations who are advocating for regulatory legislative changes or some, you know, changes to medicine, the practice or something like that. Uh, so what is it about organized medicine that gets you excited? Because again, most people, it's not drudgery. They maybe enjoy the sort of the political aspect of it but or they see the importance of it but i don't find people like finding it generally like you know super they get super excited or pumped about it probably the best part of it for me has been the people that i've been able to work with and i mean i've just met some of the most exceptional doctors um through you know the different things i've gotten to do like i served on the florida academy of family physicians on the board of directors i just finished a four-year term um in december and i just met with you know i just worked with some of the best leaders and you know no we did not bring all the changes that we were hoping for and i mean it's slow and um and it can be frustrating you know to drive change right but yeah. we we did work on some things and so you know when i joined the board i said you know um we need to have like a physician wellness committee or something, right? And so I wrote like a three-page document. And, you know, a few years later, I am chair of the physician wellness subcommittee, which is probably becoming its own committee within the next, you know, few months. And so um, so it's exciting when you see it. I mean, it's slower than you would want, but the change is does happen. And also meeting legislators. I mean, I, I never would have thought that I would be doing things like going to the Capitol here in Florida and in D.C., and meeting with legislators and their LAs, which are wonderful, the legislative assistants. And so I've done that. And I actually have a meeting tomorrow with our local senator um, because now they're in the interim. Uh, the legislative session has ended. And so, you know, in the interim, I get to go to the, his district office and, you know, talk about issues that are important to me and what I see happening in my town and in our nation. And uh, it's empowering just to have a voice, you know. And so... Um, you know, those are some of the things that I have found really exciting. 
How do you find your uh, your your response from the local politician, the politicians, both the state reps and the senators? My experience in Michigan has been, I mean, I think, you know, they're always deferential. They're always polite to you when they're talking to you. But, uh, you know, in talking to our lobbyists within the State Medical Society or uh, others who work on legislation, the the view, at least in Michigan here, is, is fairly negative towards physicians. And uh, do you find that the same in Florida? Are you able to find phys- uh, legislators who are able to part- you're able to partner with and get legislation through? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I haven't been involved with like a bill that I helped, you know, push or anything like that. I mean, uh, but but I have found that legislators with whom I have been able to speak one-on-one to actually be very open to that and very happy to hear from physicians and um, and very welcoming. So, um, so I don't know if that's a Florida thing or if I've just been blessed with the people that I've been able to work with, but um, I have found the process actually very, very good. You know, I mean, I... Being able to go and, and be there during a session of the House of Representatives or the Senate, you know, right here in Florida and seeing mm-hmm. the things that are being discussed, um, I don't know, I find it inspiring. And um, and it gives me hope, even, again, even if um, change is slow and, you know, we have some legislators that I, I am completely in disagreement with them, sure. but, you know, uh, I shake their hands and, you know, I'm, I'm happy that at least they're engaged and wanting to do something, right? And so, so that's how I try to think about it. And, you know, I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat or, or what. I mean, I just care about patients. Um, my, my biggest thing is really patient safety. I, I have a lot of concerns over some of the ways healthcare is changing and it's not good for patients. And so, you know, when I'm not around, I want my, my children to have um, excellent healthcare available, like I have been able to access my whole life. And so, um, so that's why I work and, you know, I don't let the frustration kind of stop me, uh, whether it comes from the legislators or from my own academy sometimes, you know, certainly at the national level. Um, right. There's a lot of issues that sometimes um, tie the hands of some or there's just competing priorities, right? Um, but, you know, again, I, I try to focus on what I can do and what is possible and that helps me keep going and not, not get hopeless. So we, and I find this interesting because so when you're going to, you're not fighting for specific legislation. So are you, when you go to visit these politicians, do you have any sort of agenda or do you think, I'm going to, I just want to talk about what life's like for me, what the profession's like, things, my concerns, and I'm not pushing any sort of bill. I'm not pushing any sort of regulatory change. I just want them to know what's going on and, and just meet them. Is that, is that pretty much your approach? I would say both. I mean, I think it's really great if you meet them. Uh, if you don't have an agenda at all, simply to be a resource. So it's great when, you know, when our legislators have questions that have to have to do with healthcare. If they come to the experts, right? And physicians are the most highly trained member of the healthcare team in terms of medicine, right? And so, so I think it's very important that um, every legislator have a physician on their cell phone um, that they can call. You know, more than one. Um, with questions related to medicine. And so that's very important. I also have some things that I care a lot about. For example, um, you know, we need increased funding for graduate medical education. Uh, there's a quote sure. physician shortage, which is really um, because the um, residency training spots have been frozen for decades. And so that needs to be reversed. And so there's a bill right now in the Senate at the uh, national level, which um, is trying to solve that issue. So, you know, there's some things individually that I will fight for. Um, but uh, but I think it's important just to, um, you know, be a resource. 
And just so you're basically just introducing yourself oftentimes to these legislators. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Um, or I'll, or, you know, what I did this week is, is I, you know, called and said, hey, you know, we, we talked a little bit when I was at the Capitol in March uh, about some issues. Let's continue that conversation. And so we're, that's what we're doing now in district. Uh, it's pretty cool. Well, that's, that's interesting. That's a, that's probably a, a smarter approach to then. And I don't know if that's a, um, maybe that's just my personality that I tend to have agenda focused <laughs> conversations. I don't know if that's a, a male thing too, where no, I, I think I'm calling just for purpose. Important. But, I mean, I, you yeah. know, I do too. And, and we're going to bring some materials with some, you know, different issues that we want to discuss. Um, but, but I think it's, it's about relationships, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, what happens with, you know, as you know, I mean, they continually rotate. And so every two years, you know, you get new people. <laughs> and so yeah, you got to no, re-educate. You have to re-educate them. And so, um, but, but, you know, to the extent that you are, um, nurturing some relationships uh that will give you uh you know their ear that will they will want to hear from you so sure and do you get involved in campaigns as well or do you just kind of meet them after the the dust is settled a little bit a little bit i've done that a little bit okay yeah maybe one Um, day if i run i'll be really involved (laughs) yeah you can talk to me about that i i can tell you what my experience was someday (laughs) Oh, I love that. Twice. Yeah. You may think twice. We just got, we just uh, refer to it as the near miss in my family. Excellent. I almost won. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, as always, I appreciate the conversation. And again, the book is Recapturing Joy in Medicine by Dr. Emeril Sanchez-Wolver. I love saying that name. Uh, but Mari, thank you so much for being on. It, where's a good place for people to find out more what you're doing to follow your writing and those sorts of things. Sure. So I have a website. It's a faithful MD for medical doctor.com. Um, also uh, I find that if people just Google my name, um, they usually get to my website, but yeah, it's faithfulmd.com, And that has information about my coaching, about my speaking and also about my books. Um, I have four now and this is my latest and I'm very excited to get it in the hands where it needs to get to make a real difference. So I thank you. Uh, yeah, Twitter. Do you, I do, do you have tweet? a Twitter, and on Twitter I am at faithfulmdcoach. And let's see, uh, Instagram, any of those sorts of things? Or I don't have Instagram. Yeah, yeah, I don't. You can only be on a couple of social media sites at once and be effective. I think, or maybe exactly. like one or two. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm actually surprised that if people Google Amarillo Sanchez Wolver, they get you. I mean, they don't get some other one who's oh, right. I'm, I'm sure there's many with that exact name. Yeah. Right. I had, I had Dr. Herkelroth on before. And I, it's probably fair to say that you're probably the only Dr. Deborah Herkelroth in, in the country. It's like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Exactly. So. Soon there's going to be a Facebook page, which will be called Recapturing Joy in Medicine. So that's coming. And right now my Facebook uh, page is, uh, the name is my business name, which is Impact Writing and Coaching. So I do have some doctors who follow me there. Um, okay. So I have some things coming. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And it's always a delight. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Larson. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.